the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, we're beginning Romans 5 today, and this is our beginning after the first of the year. We ended uh, Romans 4 sometime in early December, and we went through our holidays, as we often do. And I'm back in Romans 5, but I really, as I opened this, couldn't think of a better passage of Scripture to be so closely connected to Christmas. And you'll see why in just a moment. I don't know about you, if you've done this or you've come from a family that's done this, but I grew up in a family that occasionally we would get a gift, and, um, well, let me explain it this way. We would come out on Christmas morning and the presents would be underneath the tree for my sister and me and my mom and dad would be there. And we were a very tight family. We ate every meal we possibly could together. We did everything together. My mom and dad didn't have a lot of outside friends. They just really hovered around the family. They didn't know the Lord until the end of their life, but they really cared about the family. And one of the things they taught us is that when a gift is given by anyone in the family, we take that gift with great cheerfulness. We open it very carefully, not just rip it open so we can get to the next gift. When we did, then we looked at the gift. We talked about the gift. We talked about about the person, why they chose that particular gift, what we're going to do with that particular gift. And if you're an eight-year-old boy, you just want to say, get on with it, you know, but you would do this. And so we went through it and it really bonded us to the giver, to the gift, to what we were using it. We appreciated it more. Well, I remember this one particular Christmas because it was beyond getting socks, t-shirts and other things. There was an actual gift for me under there. So I would go to the tree, I would reach under the tree and I would pull out this package. And I can always remember my mom saying, not that one, pick another one. I thought, that's strange. So I set it aside and I'd reach for that one and she'd say, oh, no, not that one, pick another one. And so I had to go pick another. So I had a bunch of these gifts under here and she said, you'll know why when you open the first gift first. Well, I did. And it was such a beautiful gift and what it was was a tackle box. I enjoyed fishing. I still enjoy fishing. I don't do it very much, but there was a tackle box. Now, my parents knew how to take one gift and really make it go a long way. So I don't want to tell you that every gift I opened was a hook. And then another hook. But I will tell you it was one lure and then another lure and all of that that went with it. Now, why am I telling you that story? When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get all the gift that God wants you to have. But within that gift are going to be other parts of that gift that make it so much more rich. For example, when I trusted Christ as Savior, I have Christ. I got that. I have eternal life because Christ is life and eternal life. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. I have all of that. But I also have a whole lot more with it that the Lord packs into it. So for those that have trusted Christ as Savior today, I would like to leave you with not pegs on a board, but actually a chain that all links together. But in a sense, it's all wrapped up around the person of Christ and actually the work that he's done for us on the cross so we could have everlasting life. So I hope it would bring you great encouragement. I know this. 
I know that the great apostle Paul suffered tremendous amount of challenges in his life from those outside the faith, those inside the faith, from the elements in which he preached the gospel, persecution and all the rest. And yet he could still say, as a Christian, as one who's placed his faith alone in Jesus Christ who died and rose again, that he could still, here's a word we never use, it's the word exult. Not exalt, that exalt means I praise the Lord. Exalt is a word that is often found in Scripture and it has many different meanings, but basically it means the same thing. Exalt means to brag, to boast, to tell others about, to rejoice in, to get all excited about. And that's the word that he uses in the passage today. So if you have your Bibles now and you found the Bible on your phone, would you now look at it with me as we go through some of the beginning remarks before I go through the list of six so you can see why he's so excited in the midst of everything that was coming against him that he could still exalt. But we're going to look at the three things that he exalted in here to get us ready for this great passage. So first of all, we're going to see that he exalted in something that would be, I I think, very important. If you will, look, if you will, at the end of verse 2, it says... And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So very simply, he was all excited. He had to brag. He had to tell others. It was on his countenance and on his lips that he wanted everybody to know that he had hope. And the hope was in that God, through Christ, was glorified. But that's not all. So you marked it one. He exalted in the Lord through the hope that he had. Look at the second, which I think is quite unusual. And we're going to unpack this in just a moment. Look, if you will, a little bit further in the passage and find verse 3. And it says, And not only this... But we also exult in, not because of, but in our tribulation. So here he's saying, I exult in the hope of the glory of God. And the other side he says, I exult, I brag about the trials and tribulations and the pressures and the persecutions that I have. Now how does that make sense? Well, stay awake and stay with me and we're going to learn how that makes sense. But he didn't end there. In the same passage, he has to say it again. I'm excited about it. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to give glory to God for it. I'm going to brag. I'm going to tell others. Go now to verse 11, the last verse of our passage for today. And it says this in verse 11. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the midst of everything that he went through, he exulted in the hope of the glory of the Lord, even in his tribulations and even in God. What I'd like to suggest that you do, those of you that want to go a little bit further, whatever translation that you have this afternoon and this week, look up all the different times in the New Testament alone. It uses the word exalt or praise or rejoice, some of those words to find out what are the objects and why he would have such a joyful spirit. Now, why am I telling you this? It is not to, listen carefully, to deny the pain that you're going through. This morning alone, I had two people that I stopped and prayed with that are going through some very deep water right now in their life. None of it they brought on themselves. It's people that they love very close to them, very meaningful to them. So while we're talking about hope in the glory of the Lord, I want you to know that I do carry your pain in my prayer that you are hurting right now. So it's not a denial of that, but it's to say that even in this pain, I can still brag about this to the Lord because of what God's going to do in my life. So see, this is a wonderful experience in your life, a personal growth while you're going through whatever pain you are. Now, there are six key words in this passage that you can look at, and each one of those could be a sermon by itself and staying in the same passage because they're so rich. I'm not going to do that. But I'd like you to jot down those six words so that you can go a little bit further. One more time showing you this is like ornaments on the tree, all right? The first word would be the word peace. It's found in the scripture. Another is the word introduction. I will talk about that. In the New American, it says introduction. Many of your other translations has the word access. 
I prefer the translation of access better than introduction because you can't have access without introduction, but you can have introduction without real access. The next word would be the word grace. How can you get away from grace? We're saved by grace. We're empowered by grace. We're disciplined by grace. We're taught by grace. So grace is all in this. The fourth word is the word hope. And I will spend some time talking about hope today because I want you to have hope. Not a hope, a hope, a hope something happens, but that anticipation with joy. The fifth word is the word love. You ought to see how important that word is because you're going to see how God demonstrated his love to us. He didn't just say, I love you. He says, I'm going to prove to you how much I love you. So love is more of an action word than an attitude. And then the last word is the word saved. I know that's a very interesting word for people today because we just think we might be saved from a burning building. We might be saved from drowning. We might be saved from an automobile accident. But in reality, we don't use that word very much. But in this context, it's saved from eternal damnation and hell and saved forevermore to be with Jesus Christ. So we have eternal salvation. Those are the six words. And I encourage you to kind of dig through those words in this passage and just get all the nuances because it's going to add more seasoning to this truth that you're getting. But there are two pronouns. Now there's one, but I'm going to add one more in the context. The two pronouns would be the word we and the word our. I'd like you to look at that for just a moment. Pick it up now, chapter 5, verse 1. All right? It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if it is your Bible, you might want to mark we and our, because it's really saying it's those people in Rome who came to faith in Christ. It's Paul who's come to faith in Christ. And by extension, those of us who are living today that are embracing these truths, we now have, by faith alone in Christ, eternal life and peace with God. And we now can claim that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. But go a little bit further. Verse 2 it says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction or access by faith in this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So you see the our and the we that's all through that passage. So while I'm giving this to you, I don't want you to sit back and say, okay, this is an old book, 2,000 years old. It's written by an old man to a group of people that are dead for 2,000 years in a dusty old city of Rome. I want you to read these as living truths that were written by an old guy prompted by the Holy Spirit to be given to a group of people so they would be a lot, watch this, a live group of believers that were so infectious with their life and their testimony that they inflamed the world that they lived in so much so that the rest of the world spiritually burned all the way till today. We are the result of them capturing this. Do you catch that? And you know what gets me excited? If we catch this today, then we could ignite the people in our life and this will carry on until Jesus comes back again. So this isn't a group of dead truths or dead orthodoxy. This is living and exciting and it's real and it's important and we need to live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, all that is the background material. I do want to give you this one thought about my Christmas present. <clears throat> I wish I had that tackle box. I wish I had those lures. They're probably worth something because I'm old now and I could probably market them on eBay. But I'll tell you this, they're all long gone. They're not sustainable. But the truths I'm telling you today, they are eternal truths. And that's why I call them the lasting and I, call, I could have called them the everlasting benefits of trusting in Christ. So if you've trusted in Christ, then you exult in these truths. If you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, I want you to know it's all here. It's a table. It's a banquet. It's ready for you. You can have these. All you've got to do is to come to faith in Christ. And you can have these too. And I want you to have them. All right, let's look at these six. We're going to look at the link number one on our chain. The lasting benefit of trusting Christ. We have peace with God. 
All right, we have peace with God. That is a rich phrase. Let's go back to the verse. Verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that kind of tells us now, you know, how we became a Christian. Now, being justified by faith, what do we get? What's the result of it? It says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, I don't want to go too fast because some of you might now want to get into the family. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, not by works. It says, by faith. It doesn't say, by faith and works. It says, by faith. So you might want to underline that. Declared by God just as if you've never sinned because of your faith. And, of course, we know who it is. It's in Christ. The whole context is telling us the object of our faith is what saves us. It's Christ. It's not our works, our um, philosophy of life. It's going to be in Christ. So justified by faith. Now, therefore, since we've done that, now the results are. We, you and me who've done that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might want to circle the word peace there. That's going to be one of the most important words in our passage today. And it says peace with God. In Scripture, there are two concepts about peace and God. One is the peace with God, and that would be relationship. The other is the peace of God. And I'm going to use the word more emotional, more the idea of an attitude. It's more of a state of mind thing. So one is a relationship. You have peace with this person. The other one is I'm experiencing the peace of that person. I'm I'm now in this thing where I feel very... Uh, tranquil. I, I can rest. I have faith. So all of that is part of it. This passage is not speaking to the peace of God. If you want to read that, that's found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. That is spoken to Christians. That's what you can have if you do certain things as a believer. You, have to, you will get that peace of God if you do those things. Not to become a Christian, but because you are. It'll explain what they are. Write it down. Look it up. You'll be blessed. This, though, says peace with God. So this is a little bit different. This is already telling us that we are an enemy of God and we have to have peace with him. So we're kind of separated from him. And now we want to have peace with him. And so he says we're an enemy. There's a division. There's a wall up. There's something that's separating us. And so he says now through Christ, though, we can have peace with God. We are no, by the way, he's not our enemy. We are his enemy. We are no longer his enemy when we place our faith in Christ. Now, this really gets kind of neat. And you know why it's kind of neat? is because that means that no matter what enemies we might have had in life and we might not be able to get past those people that still treat you like an enemy, you can with Almighty God. And if I had the choice between making peace with another person or making peace with God, I'm no fool. I want to have peace with God. I'd like to have peace with everybody who's in my life and who will come into my life, but I would really need to have the peace with God. And that's what God offers to every single one of us when we place our faith alone in Christ. We want to have peace with God. Well, let's look at the second link in the chain, and that is we have 24-7 access to God. Now, the reason I use the term 24-7, although in Scripture it just says the word introduction and some translations access, is because today's culture is we might think that we only have access to God if we go to a building or we go to a person. And it's maybe only on Sunday or we have better access or more access when we're in a spiritual environment at the time. And I wanted you to know throughout Scripture, for those that have placed their faith in Christ, it's not a particular day or a particular location or a particular experience. It is 24-7 that we can have instant access to God. So let me explain from a spiritual nature. Hold your place here in Romans, if you will, and go back to the Gospels, and I'd like you to turn to Luke, if you will, Luke chapter 23. I'm going to show it to you there, but I need to give you some background information. This will help you to know the value that we have to have instant access with the Lord. Now, some of you that are Christian, you're kind of ho-hum. I got all of this stuff. I know this stuff already. I I know you do. 
But do you realize what it cost God for you to be able to have that peace with God? Remember, it's all about what the Lord did, not about what we do. Ours is a simple childlike faith placed in the person of Christ and the work he's done for us on the cross. So let me kind of explain to you. Back in the Bible days, way, way back in the Bible days, all you had were basically Gentiles. Then there was a time when the Lord then selected a group of people for himself by selecting one man, one woman, Abraham and Sarah. And through Abraham and Sarah, he launched an entire people group called the Jewish people, the Jewish people. Now, with them, though, the Jewish people were the ones that God predominantly, by far, majority, put forth all of his truth through them and to them, and Christ came from the Jewish nation, etc. So all of it kind of wraps around Jewish people. Now, you'll notice that the Lord, when he had the temple built, when he allowed the temple to be built, and even somewhat of the tabernacle, there was certain places that they couldn't go. So let's talk about, for now, just the temple, because we're going to get into a temple's part of Scripture here. Temple is a big building. Okay, huge building. If those of you have been to Israel, I hope you can get to Jerusalem. You can see where the temple site is at least. All right, it's all been torn down. You can see where the site is. Well, part of that would be that the Gentiles could come to the temple, but they couldn't go all the way into the very center of the temple. That was the Holy of Holies. So this would be kind of like the, uh, the lanai of the Gentiles. This is where the Gentiles could go. They can go here, but no further. And there was basically a wall that was there. Now, Jewish people, they're a little bit special because they're part of God's chosen people. They could go beyond where the Gentiles were and they can go into a special place where the Jewish people could go but they could not go into the Holy of Holies now in the Holy of Holies there was this one huge curtain it was a heavy curtain I don't know if it was musty might have been musty I don't know but a huge curtain because only one person could go in there at a special time that was there representing the Jewish people and then representing God to the Jewish people inside this Holy of Holies and there was this huge wall that was there all the time revealing to the people that with, between them and God there was a wall and the only way that wall could be brought down is through the person of Christ. Now keep that in mind because that what was happening for decades, hundreds of years until Christ did something. And when Christ did this, he changed everything. So when you now think, oh yeah, I can talk to God anytime, I want you to know for us it's a quick little blessing that we absolutely need and enjoy with God. It was a tremendous work. It was like a symphony of events that were happening at a certain time in history, at a certain place in history, with certain people in history doing certain things in history that were prophesied about that. Now we are the recipients of all of that. Huge stuff going on, a big thing. And all we do, we didn't pray anything wrong. Let's look what happened here. We're looking at 23, chapter 23 of Luke. Just a couple verses. See what happened now, all right? Jesus is basically on the cross now. And here's what happens when he's going through his death pangs, when he's essentially willing himself to death. Pick it up, if you will, verse 44. And it says, Luke saying, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And a lot of scholars are saying it was at that time that all the sin of all the world was falling upon Christ. There was a tremendous amount of darkness there because sin represents all of that. Verse 45, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Would you underline that? That was the breaking of the wall between man and God. And who did it? Was Christ did it when that temple veil was ripped. Verse 46, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So all of this, the darkness, the curtain being torn, and him yelling this out to the Father, was all happening at one time. And at that particular time, the wall that was between man and God was torn down. Now that would be for those who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. 
So I want you to know, as we know what Christ did for us on the cross, he provisionally brought that wall down. And when you trust Christ as Savior, that means, watch this, you don't need any priest. No longer a priest had to go to God. We can go to him ourselves. You don't need to have any special time. You don't have to go to any special city. You don't have to kneel and bow toward a city like some religions will teach. All you can do right where you're seated today, you can say, Lord, I have this need. I know that right now, according to your word, there is no wall. I am instantly at the throne of grace. Now think about that. You're not just at the throne. You're at the throne of grace where God gives you the power to endure whatever you're going through. God gives you all the grace that's allowing you to be in his presence and that's 24-7. So I want you to know whatever you're going through, drop down and talk to the Lord. Now here's a question for you. If you and I have that access all the time, why don't we use that? I hope that we would. There's a story told of a Civil War soldier who wanted to see President Lincoln. And of course, you know, Lincoln had all of his guys around him to protect him, and he could never get in. He tried and tried and tried, and everybody said, go away, go away, go away, go away. But he waited there for Lincoln. And oddly enough, Tad Lincoln, the son of Abraham Lincoln, kind of walked by, and he said, what are you doing here? And the man said, I'm trying to see Abraham Lincoln. I want to tell him something. And Tad said, no problem. I'll get you in. And Tad just walked him right in, and he was able to do that. Have that, isn't that great? Just to know that he had a connection. Now, let me make it on a more real basis. When you trust Christ to save you, you are given like a, a season, no, better yet, a lifetime pass to have access to God. Can you imagine that? God says, okay, you trust Christ, here's your pass. You have it. You can talk to me anytime you want. There's the pass. If you forget the pass, don't worry about it. You still have a pass. Now, how about you and me today? How many of you have ever gotten a seasonal pass at the Polynesian Cultural Center? How many of you got a seasonal pass that may be wet and wild? And I'm not very smart, so I don't know what other seasonal passes they might have, maybe with some of the arts or something. They have passes like that. How many of you have ever gotten one and you paid so much money, but after you got that, it cost you the money to get that, and once you had it, you didn't even use up enough of it for what you paid for it in that seasonal pass? How many of you paid more for the pass than what you got use out of it? Don't raise your hand, okay? But you know exactly what I'm saying. Now, the beauty of all of this is that we don't have to pay to go to heaven. Jesus paid for it on the cross. He gives us the pass, and he says, guess what? You can now go, not when it's open, not when the shows are on, not when the water is flowing. He says, you can come to me anytime, and not just so you can get entertained, but it's because you're in a crisis. You can come to me because crises can happen at any time. Remember last week, I taught on the issue of suddenlies come into our life. A suddenly comes in. Well, a suddenly comes in, you are at the throne of grace. And so I want you to know you can talk to him anytime. And better than that, you're always in his presence. So in a sense, you're already at the throne of grace. What a relationship. Christians have that. So let's um, use it. Let's use our pass. Let's take advantage of our pass. And better yet, why don't we tell everybody else how to get a pass like that to have access to God. All right, so we have 24-7. Let's look at the third link in our chain. I think this is kind of a cool one. really sets it off for me. And that is we have hope in this life. We have hope in life. Go back to the passage in Romans again, if you will. You might want to mark some things here now. It says here, and in this grace in which we stand, I have that introduction, I have that access, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now, when I see the word hope there, I don't see it as a word that means pessimistic. I have this hope. I have this joy. I get so excited about this thing. I have the hope in the glory of of the Lord. Now, if you will look up here for just a minute, I don't have it up on a chart or anything, but just this is real simple. I have hope now 
for something that's in the future. And the hope that I have now is not necessarily that I'm going to get cured of my cancer. It's not, I have hope now that I'll finally get a job. I don't just have hope now that I'll get out of financial debt or hope now that I'll get married. I hope now that I'll in the future have kids. We can't control our health, our finances, our relationships or any of that. We can't do that. But God says we can hope now in something that is really future that he does control, which is the glory of God. Now write this reference down. Colossians 3, 4. Now some of you want to go there. You go ahead on your own time. But Colossians 3, 4. And you're going to see that because our life is hid in Christ, we are now a part of that glory that he's going to come back with. And I have that hope. I'm going to, whatever I go through here, that's okay. Because I'm going to be part of the glory of the Lord. Now for some of you, that's still hard for us to understand. So let me make it earthly simple by this illustration. It works for me anyway. Let's say that you happen to be on the winning Super Bowl team, okay, because we're getting into Super Bowl season. You're on the winning team. You know that what's promised to you that when you win that you're going to get X amount of money, you're going to have the special ring, you're going to get your name in the record book, you're going to be given special privileges, they're going to have a ticker tape parade, and sometime you're going to have to be with Obama. Now, I don't know if that's such a big deal. But anyway, all that is, you get all of that. So what you have is you have this hope because they said if you win, you get that. Now, wouldn't that be exciting to know you get this? Now you win, and so you don't have the ring yet. It's coming. You don't have the money yet. It's coming. You had a little bit of TV, but there's still more coming. You haven't seen the president. It's still coming. You haven't felt the confetti yet, but it's coming. But you'd still be excited because you know what? It's coming. And that's what I want to leave with you. I can't promise you that God is going to relieve all the issues and problems that you have in your life. But I can promise you this that you will participate in the coming of the Lord at the second coming of Christ. That is the greatest glory because it's with Christ who never dies. It's with Christ that promises you everything. It is with Christ that gives you the and best and only life. All this stuff is just, well, frankly, for Christians, this is our hell. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.